this morning, and it's good to worship God together. I know we also have a lot of folks who are joining us online, so I want to welcome you as well. Welcome all of our guests uh, who are with us today. We hope in our worship you're drawing closer and closer to God. My name is Mark Powell. I'm one of the shepherds here, and our preaching minister, Josh Ross, is not here this morning. He's asked me to fill in for him. We're in a series on the book of Philippians called Bridge Builders. And this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, in verses 12 through 18, which is right after that passage we just read, the Christ hymn, uh, from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And so what I want to begin, I want to do, just jump right into God's Word, and uh, before we do, let's go to God in prayer. Our holy God and loving Father, it truly has been a blessing to be here this morning, to be with your people, to sing your praises. And God, to lift up our voices. You are worthy of praise. And God, right now as we come to your word, uh, we need ears to hear. And so God, we ask that your spirit would be at work, opening our hearts, opening our minds. God, to hear your word for us this morning, for us individually, for us as a church here in this community. God, let us have ears that are able to hear, and we ask, God, that you would minister to us in the way that we need to be ministered to. And this is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. If you have your Bible, if you have um, a phone, I'd encourage you to turn to, uh, turn to your Bibles here. We'll have it on the screen as well. But the context here is very important, and so it may help you just to see the context if you have your Bibles open. Philippians 2.12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service, Coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And then I want us to focus on the second part of verse 12, where Paul says this phrase that's uh, pretty familiar to some of us. He tells us to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul summarizes the same uh, basic idea in other places. In chapter 1, verse 27, he'll say to uh, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I have on the screen, I believe, uh, a summary or just kind of my own, uh, if I was putting this in my own words, so this isn't a translation, but just putting this in my own words on what Paul's trying to say, to continue to live out your salvation. Continue to live out the implications of your salvation because we worship a holy God. 
Now this verse here, uh, Philippians 2 verse 12, is a challenging verse for a couple of reasons. One, it really is easy for us to misunderstand it. So for some of us, when we read this verse, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, we think of works righteousness, right? We have to do stuff to gain God's forgiveness or God's grace. If we work hard enough, then we can uh, be heirs of, of the great things God has in store for his people. And that's not what this verse is saying. That's not the gospel. So that's one, one extreme. We could see this as a form of works righteousness. On the other extreme, I could get up here and try to tell you that's not really what it's saying and try to soften this verse so that we don't really hear it for what Paul's trying to tell us. This working out your salvation, this living out the gospel, it's a matter of fear and trembling. This is serious stuff. And so we need to be challenged by this text. We need to hear God's word and what it means for us this morning. So to help us to hear this, there's three, three things I want to emphasize uh, with you this morning. If we're going to really hear this text, and what I mean here by really hear it, not just kind of hear it and it goes kind of in and out or just kind of intellectually grasp it, but if we're really going to uh, let it sink in and change us, there's three things we need to wrestle with and, and, and try to come to terms with. And the first one is it simply who God is and what God has done for our salvation. This text follows right after the Christ hymn in chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. We just read this. And Donovan, thank you for sharing uh, your reflections on this text. We've had other people sharing their reflections on the Christ hymn. It's a summary of the gospel. And it really, truly is amazing. I'm afraid if we, we hear it too much, we don't really let it uh, just impact us the way it should. So what does this, this Christ hymn tell us? Well, it tells us that we worship a mighty God, a holy God, but that God's Son, who is in eternal fellowship with the Father, God's Son emptied Himself. He humbled Himself and became a human being just like us. And not only that, while he was on this earth, God's Son obeyed the will of the Father. He suffered, he offered his life as a sacrifice so that we could have forgiveness of sins, so that we could be the people of God. But then God exalted him to the highest place. He raised him from the dead, seated him at the Father's right hand. Jesus Christ reigns today. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a summary of our faith and what we believe. This is about who God is, the heart of God for us. This is about what God has done for us. And it is marvelous. Who would have thought, who would have thought that the Creator of all things would care for us so much, would humble Himself for us and for our salvation? And this is good news for everybody. When we reflect on the cross, I think of different challenges that we face in life. And some of us, uh, we've done things, and we wonder if God could possibly forgive us. When we look at the cross, we see that if God would forgive this world for crucifying His Son, He will forgive us. He calls us to be His children. Our guilt is taken away. 
You know, others of us have uh, faced a lot of sinning against us. Now, we all sin. We're all sinned against. But some of us uh, have been hurt and in heinous ways. And we've been shamed and sinned against. And we wonder if God would accept us in our shame. How could we? We're so broken. When we look at the cross, we see that Jesus understands. Because Jesus, too, was beaten and humiliated and mocked. He understands. He's taken our shame. And he invites us to be children of God. And this changes everything. So, our standing now, what Paul says throughout this chapter, he says, now we're clothed with Christ. We are filled with the Spirit. We share in God's Spirit. We're friends of God. We're children of God. And now because of who we are, this is our new standing, it changes everything. It changes the way we live. So just as Jesus emptied Himself and humbled Himself, now we can empty ourselves, humble our, ourselves, seek first the interests of others, not our own interests. Because Jesus obeyed the Father, we now can obey the Word of God. Just as Jesus suffered for the Gospel and His life was a sacrifice, we too can suffer for the Gospel. Our lives are a sacrifice of praise to God. Everything has changed. Our status has changed. Now the way we live has changed. And we live in light of the gospel. When my kids were younger, uh, the movie Princess Diaries was popular. And I really hesitate to use this example. Because I know princesses isn't everybody's thing. But uh, I think it's the best example I could come up with. There's this American teenager. She's awkward. She's shy. She has a chance to become a princess, heir of this European kingdom. And she has to decide if she's going to claim her title or renounce it, but if she claims it, things are going to change because now she's in line to be queen. And so the way she walks and the way she talks and the way she dresses has to change. If she goes to the pizza parlor with her friends in high school, you may not be able to do that because you're now queen. When she does something and it becomes news, it's not just about her that she represents. She's representing a whole kingdom. Her life is not her own. And I think we see the same thing in, in so many areas of life. Uh, it's not just for those in preparation to be a princess, but when you get a, a promotion on your job, if you're an athlete and you become the face of the Memphis Grizzlies, things change. Because you now represent your team, you represent a franchise, you represent a city. What you put on social media, you have to be careful about that. What you do and say reflects on more than just you. What you eat, your exercise routine, all that changes because of your status as the face of a franchise. Well, what Paul tells us is in Christ, we are now the children of the living God and everything changes. The way we talk, what we do with our money, how we live sexually, how we treat our enemies. We can go on and on, but everything changes because now 
We are the children of the living God, and we have to live out the implications of the gospel. We have to live out the implications of our salvation. We have to continue uh, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, second thing I want us to um, grasp. If we're going to hear God's word this morning, we must understand that we are not alone. A lot of times when you read verse 12 and you just stop there, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, we can just end, and we get this image that God has told us what to do, He's forgiven us in Christ, and now He's just waiting on us to get it right. Put yourself up by your bootstraps. Let's do this thing. Live a holy life. Participate in God's mission in the world. Let's change the world, but you have to do it by yourself. And it's not too long afterwards that you get, we begin to get discouraged. I know for me, when I first became a Christian, I thought holy living would be pretty simple, right? God tells you what to do, you do it. And by God's grace, there were some things that changed pretty quickly. And maybe by God's grace, there were some things that didn't. <laughs> and just remind us, reminded me of our, our constant need of God. So right after verse 12, it says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in us both to will and to work, to act, in order to fulfill his good purpose. To will. God changes our hearts and our desires. I think if we are uh, honest with ourselves, we realize that there's many times we really don't desire the things of God. We don't really desire what's right. We love sin. We want to act like the people of this world. We need God to change our will, to change our desires. We need to desire rightly. We need to love the things that God loves. This is the work of God's Spirit in us. And we need strength to live this out, to act in a way that's in accordance with the gospel. And what Scripture consistently tells us is that God is with us. God's Spirit is with us. Helping us to grow in holiness, helping us to desire the things that God desires, helping us to do the things that God wants us to do. We're not alone. God's Spirit is with us. And in fact, God is the primary actor, the primary one who's changing us into the likeness of Christ. And Scripture tells us that God's going to complete that in the end. He's going to continue to change us until the end when He perfects us. We're holy now. We'll be holy one day. We're righteous now. We're going to be righteous one day because God is faithful. He's going to bring to completion what He's done in us. So we're not alone. We're called to act, to work. God is at work. God is acting. And so how do we, how do we combine these two things? Well, that's a good question, and we could spend a lot of time reflecting on that, but I do want to give you this one phrase uh, that's been really helpful for me in thinking through how this holds together, and that's this. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Think about this for a moment. There's no way we can truly be the children of the living God, that we can live holy lives without the work of God in us. Without God, we cannot. But God has this precious gift 
And he's not just going to give it to anybody, right? I mean, the default position isn't to be holy, but for people who desire holiness, for people who desire God, God will work. So without us, without us, God will not. An illustration that helps me is just think about gardening. Uh, my dad, especially uh, for a few years ago, my mom's been ill lately, but before she, uh, her health declined, we'd go visit my dad, and he had this unbelievable garden in his backyard. And there'd be corn and tomatoes and okra and squash, and you just name it. And it was just like bursting. I mean, it was unbelievable. You go to my backyard, and what you'll find is an interesting collection of grass and weeds. Uh, maybe a few leaves right now because they're falling. But you don't have that beautiful garden. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, my dad's tilled the soil, and he's planted the seeds, and he's watered the seeds, and he's nurtured these plants. I think he whispers to them something because it's unbelievable how they grow. But he's nurtured the soil, and he's taken care of the soil, and this amazing life-giving crop has emerged. Now, here's the thing. You can take a seed and you stick it in the ground, and it is amazing. I mean, if you think about it, a seed can become a plant. It can provide food. I mean, that's all the work of God, right? I mean, if I, I can put something in the ground and hope and pray that something comes up out of the ground, but without God's help, this seed isn't going to become a plant, become food, become life-giving. And so with gardening, it's all about God. Our daily bread is a gift from God. But with gardening, it's also about us. We have to till the soil. We want to see a crop grow. It's the same way with holiness. It's the same way as we try to live for Christ. Are we tilling the soil of our lives? Are we putting good things into our hearts? Are we people of God's Word? Are we people of prayer? And if we are, God can take those seeds and he can bring a great, uh, a great crop out of this, great change in our lives. And over time, we start to see that we look more and more and more like Christ. And that's all because of the work of God and the work of God's Spirit. Third thing I want us to uh, see this morning, if we're going to grasp God's Word, we must grasp our identity as God's people in a broken and dark world. Let me read again verses 14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. There's a lot of images here in these few verses to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. When God delivered them up out of Egyptian slavery. And so they, hear, they are in slavery. God delivers them out of slavery. They're in the wilderness going to the promised land. And if you know anything about that period in Israel's history it is that they grumbled and argued with God. They were to be the people of God, the children of God in this world to be a light to the nations, and yet as they're being set free from slavery, all they can do is grumble and argue. And strangely, they want to go back. They want to go back to a life of slavery. Instead of endure 
for something better that God has in store for His people. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 5, this is the word of, Mo, the words of Moses talking about Israel. He says, They are corrupt and not His children. To their shame, they are a warped and crooked generation. The people of Israel were to be the children of God, but they grumble, they argue, they turn away from this great calling. Instead of, and so, instead of being God's children in the midst of a warped and crooked generation, they become a warped and crooked generation. They look just like the world that God's trying to deliver them out of. They want to go back. They don't look any different. And what Paul says is that God's desire for us is to be God's children, to be without fault in a warped and crooked generation, to be distinct, God's distinct people in this world. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, light in the darkness. We're a city on a hill that can't be hidden, a light to the nations. You know, light is an interesting thing. When you cut on the light, it's not necessarily life-giving for everyone. I don't know if you've noticed that. Criminals don't like the light. Neither do rodents or cockroaches. I wouldn't know. We don't have those in our house, but that's what I'm told. That's what I'm told. But you know how this works, right? You cut on the light, and things that aren't supposed to be there just scatter because they're exposed by the light. Not everybody loves the light. Some people love sin. Some people love darkness. And then some of us have been in the darkness so long that when you come to the light, it hurts. One of the best ways to wake me up, I mean, noise wakes me up, but light wakes me up. I have a hard time going to sleep when there's just a lot of light. And if you've been in darkness long enough, man, night hurts. It takes a while for your, your eyes to acclimate to the light, but it's good. It's good. You just have to give yourself some time to acclimate to what's good and what's right because light guides us. And in this instance, light guides us to God. Light gives life. And so God calls us to be a light in this world so that other people can see God's goodness and see God's glory. That's, that's our greater purpose here. So that through us, through the people of God, other people can see the goodness of God. They can enjoy salvation. They too can be part of the people of God. So let's go back to our verse. Chapter 2, verse 12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And by the way, this word is for us individually. It's for the church as a whole. It's really written to the church that we church are to continue to work at our salvation, continue to live out the implications of the gospel, to continue to live like children of God, to continue to imitate our God in this world. And we do so with fear and trembling because these are mighty things. These are holy things. These are marvelous things. These are wonderful things. And everything is at stake. For it is God who works in you. We're not alone. 
We're not even the primary actor. God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, to be his people, to be a city on a hill, to be like stars shining in the night so that other people can see the goodness of God, enjoy the salvation of God, enjoy the blessings of being the people of God. Right now we're going to transition to the Lord's Supper. We have several tables uh, that are spread throughout the worship center with the Lord's Supper. And every week when we gather to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the gospel, what God has done for us in Christ. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. And not only do we celebrate, we experience table communion with God and with one another. This is a foretaste of glory divine, a heavenly feast. Sharing with God, sharing with the people of God. And this morning we also recommit ourselves. I think this text is a text of commitment. We recommit ourselves to be the children of God. To live out this marvelous gospel that's been revealed to us. To be more and more like our God, more and more like our Lord. We're going to have some prayer leaders that are available as well. So Willie Thomas is going to be up front. I think Tony Ramsey is going to be in the back. Rachel Galbraith will probably be over here. But if you'd like to go one of our prayer leaders, we would love to pray with you. If you're not a follower of Christ, and you want to put your faith in Christ, if you want to be united with Christ in baptism, you want to make this day a day of commitment. We want to help you to follow him. So we're going to pray, and then after this, encourage you to go to the table. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and for the way that you speak to us. And right now, God, we do celebrate the life we have in Christ. And God, we feed on Him, we trust in Him, we commune with You, we recommit ourselves to truly being Christ's disciples in this world. So God, we ask that You would bless this bread and this cup. We ask God that You would bless us as we eat it. And we ask, God, that you would ever draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.